This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss the impact of electric vehicles and electric heat pumps on greenhouse gas emissions. Remember to listen to the key messages at the end. After a decade of rapid growth, in 2020, the global electric car stock hit the 10 million mark, a 43% increase over the previous year, though it's still a small part of the total car stock. Electric vehicles accounted for two-thirds of new electric car registrations in 2020. China, with 4.5 million electric cars, has the largest fleet by far, though in 2020, Europe had the largest annual increase, says the IEA, and their stock has reached 3.2 million. And there are many models available, about 370 or more worldwide, and they're increasing really fast year by year. There are even heavy-duty electric trucks on offer. At the same time, governments are offering financial and other incentives to purchase them to meet their climate agendas. And it's not just vehicles. Even heat pumps using electricity can help cut emissions. How much will this rush to electrify transport, and maybe even heating, help the climate agenda? Let's find out how. Good morning and welcome. I am Rumin Islam, host of Tell Me How, and today's guest is Florian Knobloch, who is a fellow at the Center for Environment, Energy and Natural Resource Governance at the University of Cambridge. Florian has previously worked as a researcher and lecturer at the Environmental Science Department of Radboud University at the Netherlands as well, and has done research on a variety of countries around the world. Welcome, Florian. Thanks for having me, Romain. It's very nice to have you with us. So, Florian, you've done research on emissions from electric vehicles, which I shall refer to as EVs from now, and heat pumps under different climate policy and energy mix scenarios, with quite pertinent findings for policymakers. But can we first start with why you looked into this question? Sure. So, to address climate change, we have to stop burning fossil fuels. And both passenger cars and heating systems are amongst the biggest uses and also one of the easiest to change. The policy strategies for achieving this can be summarized as electrifying everything. This is to replace fuel-based cars and heating systems with electric cars and electric heat pumps, which both can be powered by a clean electricity grid. However, since today electricity generation still involves using fossil fuels, it is not clear where and when electric cars and heat pumps can effectively reduce overall emissions with today's electricity grid. In principle, both electric cars and heat pumps should reduce emissions, even when electricity is still produced with fossil fuels, simply due to their very high energy efficiency. However, many studies claim that electrification could still increase emissions due to indirect emissions from the production of cars and batteries. There is a lot of background research in these areas, often highly specialized. There is also a lot of misleading information out there on this topic. So we wanted to provide a clear answer, which is useful for policymakers, which need to decide on energy and climate policy in their countries. So we take all the information available and use it to answer these important questions. 
you said you wanted to provide a clear answer. But then let's get to the precise question that you were seeking to answer in the research. And let's just go one more time over why this is an important policy question, the precise question you're asking. If electricity grids first have to get cleaner for the electrify everything strategy to be beneficial, encouraging things like EVs might not have the intended effect on overall emissions. There's thus the question, could electrification policies backfire by promoting electric cars and heat pumps before electricity is decarbonized? To provide clearer answers to this question, our team did the math to find out how green EVs and heat pumps for home heating are in different countries now and in the future. What percentage of emissions are accounted for by road transport and residential heating? I'm trying to understand how important they are or potentially could be in the climate policy agenda if we look simply at the size of their emissions. Quite important. Driving and heating are the two major sources of direct carbon emissions by households. And across the world, passenger road vehicles and household heating generate around a quarter of all emissions from the burning of fossil fuels. So to put it into perspective, passenger cars account for emissions of around 5 gigaton of CO2 per year. This is similar to the entire CO2 emissions of the United States of America, which is the second largest polluter on the globe. Household heating is responsible for emissions of around 2.5 gigatons of CO2 per year, similar to all CO2 emissions of India, the third largest polluter. That makes electric vehicles and electric heat pumps essential to reducing global emissions and limit global warming. Thank you. I'm very glad that you uh, mentioned those, use those countries' emissions as examples, because for me, it was hard to understand what the five gigatons of CO2 really meant. Uh, And putting it in that context was good. By the way, CO2 is carbon dioxide emissions. I just wanted to to clarify. All right, but let's go to heat pumps. We talked a lot about heat pumps and how they can use, uh, sorry, reduce emissions. Could you just explain a little bit what heat pumps are? Um, Heat pumps can be used for heating homes instead of using gas or oil heating systems. Heat pumps use electricity and heat exchange systems, which are similar in principle to those found in your fridge or air conditioner. Essentially, they extract heat from the environment, from either the air or the ground. This process is extremely energy efficient, even compared to high efficiency gas heating systems. Because heat pumps extract heat from the environment, they can turn one unit of electricity into five or more units of heat. This works even at very low outside temperatures. Could you then please explain what is meant by a life cycle analysis and why such an analysis is important? Yes, Romain. We carried out a full life cycle assessment of manufacturing and ongoing energy use. What this means is that we did not only calculate the greenhouse gas emissions from using cars and heating systems. Our calculations also include all emissions from the production chain and also from waste processing. This is quite important because producing EVs involve higher emissions than producing petrol cars, mainly due to the production of batteries for EVs. On the other hand, the extraction and refining of fossil fuels also causes emissions, around a quarter of the emissions from burning the fuels. These so-called upstream emissions are also included in our calculations. 
That's very good to hear because, of course, it is important to think about the entire uh, life cycle emissions. I see that now that you've explained uh, what you're what you're calculating. So, could you explain how is your research adding to the existing research that's there? Um, are there no other papers that have looked at life cycle emissions, for example? Uh, well, there are plenty of papers, but our research is different in three very relevant ways. First, most existing studies focus either on one or mostly a few regions, or they look at global averages. Both is not very useful for policymakers. Our study covers the whole world while also providing a detailed analysis for 59 separate world regions. Second, almost all studies on EVs are limited to the present situation. But what we are mostly interested in is the future. So our study looks into the future and projects results until 2050, also including worst case scenarios. Third, we do not restrict our analysis to specific car models. We look at the whole range of cars which are available in the market. So overall, our study is the first to really provide a comprehensive overview. All right. So with all this information, if we go back to your research question, how do you go about answering such a complex question? You've got so many different aspects to the issue. Okay. So the aim was to examine the emissions of different types of vehicles and home heating options worldwide, now and in the future. For this, we use two things, lots of data and a computer model. Regarding data, we took the most up-to-date bottom-up estimates of life cycle emissions from producing cars of different types and also from the production and transport of the fuels they use. We have also used tons of data on the power plants running grids in different countries, as well as data on the types of vehicles and home heating methods in use. Importantly, we've run the numbers for a whole range of cars and heating systems. So not only for one specific EV and petrol car, but we looked at the whole range of cars which are available in the market. So we do not only compare... Luxury cars, yeah, Volkswagen, Rolls-Royce, Porsche, everything, right? Exactly. They're all in there. We do not only look at the Tesla Model 3 and compare it to a Volkswagen Golf, but we compare the whole range of petrol cars with the whole range of electric cars. And as a first step, we did this for the present situation. Then, as a next step, we plugged all this data into a big computer model of the global economy with a very detailed representation of the energy system. This model simulates future changes in the electricity system, and it also simulates the uptake of cars and heating systems from 2015 up to 2050. So what kind of technologies do people choose? Do they choose EVs or other cars? And will investors choose coal power plants or solar PV? You had mentioned that you do this analysis for um, 59 regions around the world. How do you distinguish these, these regions, as you call them? Do they differ substantially in their initial conditions? Do they differ in their expected patterns of growth or energy use and car use, for example? They, they differ quite substantially. So in most cases, what we refer to as regions here are simply countries, and all countries are different, obviously. The model we use was originally developed for the European Commission. So each European country is represented as an individual region. In addition, also most G20 countries are also represented as individual regions. As the model focuses on energy and climate, Areas with lower energy use and emissions are combined into one region. 
such as parts of Africa or Central Asia. This has also to do with a lack of data availability for some parts of the world. And of course, we also built in projections for how demand for transport in different regions rises over time, such as in India, where we project a very fast increase in private car use over the next decades. If you've got some cases where countries are grouped together and others where you just look at individual countries, obviously you have much more refined information on, on, on those countries where you're looking at the individual country. But there are other parts of the world that are going to grow probably a lot more and a lot faster in their demand for cars. And you have a way of building that in or not? Uh, yes, of course. We also built in projections for how demand for transport in different regions rises over time. Um, for example, India today only accounts for a small fraction of the global demand for private car transport, whereas in the future we project a very sharp increase in car use in India. We do that by means of econometric analysis. So we try to project future demand for transport based on future projections for income per person, GDP per capita, fuel prices, things like that. Okay, that clarifies things a lot. Um, so let me ask you a bit more about the technology uptake that you mentioned earlier. There's a lot of uncertainty about the direction of technological change. So how do you account for this? Technological change and technology adoption, actually. So how do you account for this? It is true that technological change is quite uncertain, but it also follows certain patterns and regularities which can be used for simulating its future direction. There is strong path dependence in technological change. So um, there's plenty of evidence from history which shows us that technological change usually follows an S-shaped pattern. New technologies start growing very slowly in the beginning before they eventually gain momentum and then increase their market shares exponentially until everyone then has the new technology and the curve flattens. It's like the new iPhone. In the beginning, you have one or two friends who have the iPhone. Suddenly, everyone wants to get one. And all of a sudden, everyone has one and growth stops. So, Florian, could you speak a bit about the global scenarios you estimate and how they were chosen? Uh, yes, sure, Ramin. We've looked into three different scenarios. So the first scenario simply sees a continuation of current trends of technology uptake. The electricity grid in this scenario becomes somewhat cleaner, but not a lot, only 60% by 2050 in terms of emissions per kilowatt hour of electricity. Electric vehicles in this scenario grow modestly to about 19% of road transportation by 2050, and heat pumps hit 16% of home heating demand. So those aren't very large percentages. No, that's like just a continuation of what we see already happening today. In the second scenario, we represent emission reduction policies all over the world, aiming to be roughly Paris aligned. These policies would make the electricity grid 74% cleaner by 2050, push EVs up to half of road miles by 2050, and heat pumps up to over a third of home heating. Then we have a third scenario, which serves as a worst case analysis. It essentially is a mismatched combination of the first two scenarios. So we assume very strong policies boosting EVs and heat pump use, but no policies to clean up the electricity grid. That tests whether electrify everything 
could backfire in such a worst case combination of policies. Those are three very interesting scenarios, certainly, to look at. Now, could you tell us your main results? Maybe mention some, on average, what the result shows you uh, or globally, and then differences across the regions. And I'd really appreciate it if you could explain differences when you explain your results. And then, you know, maybe you can start with electric vehicles and then go on to heat pumps. So first things first, we find that electric cars lead to lower carbon emissions overall, even if electricity generation still involves substantial amounts of fossil fuel. Therefore, our results show that already under current conditions, driving an electric car is better for the climate than conventional petrol cars in 95% of the world. Averaged over the globe, EVs already represent about a 31% emission saving per kilometer, and heat pumps are a 35% saving per unit of heating. Why is it that EVs can reduce emissions, even if the grid relies heavily on fossil fuels? So even an EV charged mostly on coal or gas-fired electricity indeed still has lower emissions than a petrol or a diesel car, which might sound counterintuitive for many people. This is possible because internal combustion engines are less efficient than the large turbines used in power stations. So it's simply a relative efficiency advantage of electric technologies. The average breakpoint for that is around 1,000 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour of electricity, which is roughly the efficiency of the oldest and dirtiest coal power plants we have. So as long as the grid is slightly cleaner than that, EVs should reduce emissions compared to petrol cars. Okay, then let's go to the pattern of emissions found across countries. Could you speak about that? Sure. So in most of our regions, covering 95% of global transport and heating demand today, our findings show that electric cars and heat pumps are already less emission intensive than fossil fuel alternatives. These 95% include all of Europe, the US, China, Brazil, Indonesia, Nigeria, and essentially most other places around the globe. The only few exceptions are places like India, the Czech Republic, and Poland, where electricity generation is still mostly based on coal. However, these regions together account for only 5% of global demand. That's, that's now, at the present time. That's, that's at the present time. And it's not just these three countries. There are a few more, right? It's five or six regions in total. It's also like um, okay. Estonia, I think. But um, yeah, what's also important to know is that um, there are also best case examples like Sweden and France, which produce the electricity from renewables and nuclear, and where average lifetime emissions from EVs and fee pumps are up to 70% lower already. Now, I note that you said they're not, you know, 90% lower. So I'm assuming this has something to do with the... Um, with these being life cycle emissions, because there are, we talked about, you know, driving cars, but then there's also the production of cars, but we'll get to this um, later. How, how do you expect these numbers to change in the future? For the future, we can expect that the emission advantage of electric vehicles will most likely improve further as more CO2 is taken out of the electricity grid. On the other side, for a fair comparison, we also need to consider continued progress 
on efficiency for fossil fuel powered cars and heating systems, as well as their electric counterparts. So technology will improve in the future. But even when fossil fuel powered cars become more efficient than they are today, emissions of fuel burning cars are always unavoidable. So you might have a more efficient petrol car, but it still will burn fossil fuels. There's no way around that. As a result, in a few years, even inefficient electric cars will be less emission intensive than the most up-to-date and most efficient new petrol cars. This is true for most countries, as electricity generation is expected to be less carbon intensive than it is today. All right, so how much could global emissions fall in total? Give me a, a, a number or a percentage. So obviously this depends on the number of electric cars in the street. Our model projects that by 2050, every second car on the street could be electric. And this would reduce global CO2 emissions by up to one and a half gigatons per year, which to give you some idea what this means, is equivalent to the total annual CO2 emissions of Russia today. So when you say every second car on the streets could be electric, this is in um, which scenario that you're modeling? This is in the climate policy scenario where policies are being implemented for pushing EVs. So even in that scenario, we think there would still be petrol cars in 2050. In some countries, you have largely electric cars like the European Union or United States. But in other parts of the world, it's perhaps not so realistic that you only have electric cars, even in such a scenario. So what kind of emission reduction could be achieved by heat pumps? Our results for heat pumps are actually quite similar to our results for electric vehicles. This means already under current conditions, we see that using a heat pump is better for the climate than using conventional gas or oil heating systems. And this is also true for 95% of the world in terms of heating demand. On global average, the emission intensity of heat pumps is already 35% lower than that of fossil boilers and up to 88% lower in places like Switzerland with their very high share renewables in the grid. Overall, around the world, heat pumps could reduce global CO2 emissions in 2050 by up to 0.8 gigatons per year. This is roughly Germany's current annual CO2 emissions. Okay, thank you for explaining your results. What do you think the implications are for policy? The implications for policy are quite clear. To reduce carbon emissions, we should choose electric cars and household heat pumps over their fossil fuel alternatives. Even in our worst case scenario, there would be a reduction in emissions in almost all cases. In other words, the idea that electric vehicles or electric heat pumps could increase emissions is essentially a myth. Even if we look at life cycle emissions, their production. Exactly. Everything included cradle to grave Electric vehicles and electric heat pumps are always better in terms of emissions compared to fossil fuel technologies already today. So considering that, it's quite clear that we should encourage the switch to electric cars and household heat pumps without any regrets. So it's a no regret policy. Now, this sounds too good to be true. Is there a drawback? There's always a drawback. As time goes on, emissions from manufacturing electric vehicles account for an ever larger share of total life cycle emissions. So the grid becomes cleaner, emissions from electricity use will decrease, but the share of production emissions is projected to grow from around 25% of total road transport emissions today to almost 40% in 2050. 
that's uh, quite a quite a bit of growth. <laughs> yeah, it is. So while driving an EV is better than driving a fossil fuel-based car, even EVs will always lead to emissions. Therefore, EVs are no silver bullet. You can make the most efficient vehicle and the grid clean, but production emissions will remain. Uh, so basically, we want to be driving less then? Yeah, so what you not want is everyone just replacing their petrol SUV with an electric SUV. From a climate perspective, it's also very important also to limit the number of cars or the size of cars. This means promoting things like car sharing, cycling or public transport, perhaps combined with regulations on the energy efficiency of electric vehicles. Thank you very much, Florian. That was really illuminating. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you, Ramin. It was a pleasure talking for you. Well, listeners, what did we learn today? Firstly, if people only drove electric cars and used electric heat pumps, life cycle emissions from vehicles and household heating would drop dramatically globally. Even if energy sources remained as they are today, and even if no additional climate policies are adopted, only countries with the dirtiest fossil fuel sources wouldn't gain as much. Secondly, policies to support uptake of EVs around the world can substantially raise EV use, and many countries have these in place today. Simulations of EV use under different climate policy scenarios find large reductions in emissions relative to fossil fuel using cars, even if the latter become very efficient. Finally, electrification is no silver bullet because the share of production emissions, such as battery production used in electric cars, will grow substantially. Reducing the number of vehicles, such as by moving to public transport, will help reduce these production emissions as well. Thank you and bye for now. Thank you.